Our first reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 14 to 16. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah, and still others claimed, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. If you could turn with me again to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, we'll be picking up the reading at uh, verse 17. So that's Mark chapter 6 and verse 17. Let's hear from God's word. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, the brother, the, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he, he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came on his birthday. Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly disturbed and distressed but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at this reading, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. And as we've just sung and prayed, speak to us now by your Holy Spirit so that we might know you better and show you better in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. King Herod heard about this. Interesting. What exactly has reached the king's ears? What's the headline that will cause Mark now to shift gears and spend 15 verses to tell us the disturbing story that we just read. Well, friends, Herod has heard things have gone a little crazy amongst the peasants, a little chaotic thanks to another leader, the same one his father, Herod Sr., tried but failed to destroy in infancy. 
But as we know, Jesus has been doing his thing for a fair while now, hasn't he? So what's causing Herod Jr. to suddenly sit up and take notice? Well, friends, as we saw last week in response to his frosty hometown reception and coming, Jesus calls the 12 together to organize a mission. Now, they've now seen enough and heard enough to represent to be his ambassadors to God's people. And so the time has come to get out there and spread the word. Okay, so did Herod see the big revival tent from his palace window? Did he hear the, the bells and whistles as the Jesus movement came into town? Is that what has suddenly grabbed Herod's attention? Well, in a word, no. No tent, no bells, no whistles allowed on this mission, Jesus tells the twelve. In fact, not only will there be no gimmicks, apart from a staff, verse 8, these guys weren't allowed to take food, a bag, money, not even a spare set of clothes. And so off the twelve went, not dressed for success, but the complete opposite entering each town looking no better than a pair of drifters. And as we we picture this, the question is raised, isn't it? How did news of that manage to reach Herod's ears up in his ivory tower? Well, friends, apart from being allowed a staff, Jesus gave the twelve one more thing. His authority. Authority to cast out demons, verse 7. Authority to preach, verse 12. And his authority to heal, verse 13. Now the result of being equipped in this way? Well, Mark fills us in in chapter 6, verse 30. Cast your eyes over there and have a look at it. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they do. But the massive throng who have followed the twelve back from their mission are also getting a little peckish. And so we have, as you can see right there under verse 29, the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men, that is, verse 44. Count the women and children and you can easily double that number. So friends, taking all this in, it is not an exaggeration to say the 12's mission was the biggest thing to hit Israel in their entire history. That's why, getting back to verse 14, it gets back to King Herod. And friends, just so you know, when Mark writes king here, he's being ironic. Now, the mission was all about getting the word out about the true king, while Herod 
is king of Israel by name only. One who rules not under God but under the watchful eye and say so of Rome. And so as this installed king looks out from his cosy, compromised position, he sees and hears that the people are on the move, rallying around this rival leader called Jesus. And with that, now not only are the religious class disturbed by this man, but the political class as well. And so Herod calls in his minions to conduct a peasant poll, a questionnaire to ascertain the word on the street on who exactly the people think this Jesus is. And so off they go. And second half of verse 14, they're back with their findings. Have another look at it. Some are saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. And so having taken in this information, which of the three options is Herod going to land on? It's right there in verse 16, isn't it? But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. In other words, Herod goes for the most out there, least likely option of the three, doesn't he? I mean, just imagine being one of the pollsters standing right there. You'd be thinking, really, Herod? Mate, it's time to sober up, old boy. Now, why not go with a, an Elijah figure or, or one like the prophets of old? But no. Now, from that look in his eyes, Herod is not kidding around here. As he looks you right in the eye and says with totally sober voice, because I beheaded John. Now, friends, at this confession, Mark now launches into how this terrible execution came about, doesn't he? But before we get to that, this somber, sober confession blurted out by Herod is pretty interesting, isn't it? Because Herod's response, his belief, reveals something, something pretty big and important about our makeup as God's image bearers. Now, what is this revelation? Well, friends, American journalist H.L. Mencken is pretty helpful here. In reflecting on the human condition, he writes this, The conscience is the inner voice that warns us somebody is looking. Now, Mencken just read Mark chapter 6. Because that's Herod to a T, isn't it? As he hears about Jesus and sees some serious similarities between him and John, Herod immediately feels eyes on him, doesn't he? And so powerful and real is this feeling that Herod is convinced John could burst through that door at any moment. 
Friends, welcome to this thing that we call the conscience. What is our conscience? Well, it's like having an an inner lawyer, isn't it? One who surveys what we have done or not done and then gives us a rating, gives us a score. And Paul in Romans chapter 1 and 2 assures us that all people, Jew or non-Jew, Christian or non-Christian, are born with this inner lawyer. And so with this picture in mind, let's return to this fascinating account. Having heard Herod make this remarkable conclusion, the story now continues and centres around three people. Herod, his wife Herodias, and John the Baptist. Now why does Mark now go off script to go into detail about these three? Well, on the surface, it's to inform us on how John met his end, isn't it? But in telling this story the way he tells it, Mark is giving us a character study, indeed a commentary on the conscience and how it operates in these three individuals. Now, how is that helpful for us? Well, let's continue and find out. As Herod is already in view, let's start with him. Having heard about Jesus, he is convinced that John is back, thanks to the way he met his end at Herod's hand. But friends, I'm pretty sure this isn't the first execution that Herod has signed off on. And it's not going to be the last. So why is Herod losing so much sleep about this one? Let's see what Mark writes next. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. Why did he do this? Because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Result? Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. So that's Herodias' reaction, and we'll get to her in a second. For now, let's continue. Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So why is is John in, in Herod's prison? Well, as we see right here, primarily because of his illegitimate wife. She's the driver here. The slammer is Herod's compromise. A compromise Herodias is not happy at all with. And so... Herod puts John under round-the-clock protection. Why is Herod so softball with John compared to his wife? Well, Mark has just told us, hasn't he? Because he saw that John was a righteous, holy man. And this provoked fear. Verse 20. 
John put the fear of God into Herod. And with that front row and center, the last thing, the very last thing Herod wanted to do was have him killed. Indeed, friends, as as Herod went to John and listened to him regularly, he would have felt more and more his life was in John's hands rather than the other way around. And indeed it was. As John spoke the truth, God's truth into his life and how to get right with him. But Herod felt stuck. Stuck in this life built on lies and deceit. And so he came away from their meetings perplexed and confused. As that saying goes, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. And the only light left in that tangled web for Herod was John. And so Herod protected that light. Little did Herod know that tangled sinful web that he was a part of would not put up with John shining the light on it forever. Now, I won't read the story again, but the middle of verse 26 is the key here, friends. Because of his oaths and his dinner guests, because of what he said before all of those A-listers, John lost his life. And friends, we all have those fork-in-the-road moments, don't we? And this was Herod's. Respond to that fear that John had installed in him and so begin down the wise path that leads to life or respond to the fear of man. And in choosing the latter, well, the result may have been hoops and cheers in the moment, but later on, when his head hit that pillow, there was another voice. And so tortured was Herod by this voice that having heard about Jesus, he was convinced that John was back, back to expose him, back to condemn him for the horrible injustice injustice committed at his hand. Now, friends, in all of this, what do we see? And what is Mark showing us? Clearly this, the consequence of ignoring your God-given conscience. Is it a big deal to see and reject that moral compass inside? Just look at Herod as his inner lawyer reminds him, accuses him day and night. But friends, if you think that's a bad place to be, there's worse, a lot worse. Because Herod still has a correctly operating conscience but there's no guarantee it will remain that way. 
Now, as Paul says in Romans 1, follow sin for long enough and your foolish heart will become darkened. Now, what does that look like in reality? Well, that would be Herodias, wouldn't it? In calling out her illegitimate marriage, who needs to repent here? John does, doesn't he? And because he refuses, well, it's off with his head. And friends, the tragedy of her finally having her way in this, the most disturbing part is not John's end, but where this person made in the image of God has ended up. For she has clearly switched from imaging God to imaging the enemy, imaging the devil. Now Jude in his letter calls this the way of Cain, who as we know was the first to do an Herodias. They are clouds without rain, he writes, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Friends, Herod had a guilty conscience, but Herodias, well, her inner lawyer has been co-opted by the devil. And so her conscience has turned into her defence attorney. The warning, as we see right here in this, is sin long enough Follow its lead without restraint and the one you're following will infect your you in every part, including your conscience. Brothers and sisters, sin is dangerous. The little doors that the devil opens and invites you down and beckons you down lead to the dungeon, the true dungeon in this story the one in which Herodias sits. So that's her. Now for the one who dared to pull her up, John. What can we say about him when it comes to the conscience? Well, two main things. First, John is a man who doesn't simply listen to his inner lawyer, He trains it with the correct information, God's word. Because, friends, the conscience can actually get things wrong. Now, how's that? Well, consider how Paul addresses food laws in his letters. Now, why does he regularly go on about this? Because many converted Jews were convinced it was a sin to eat certain foods like pork. And friends, the Jewish conscience was so strong on this that even Peter fell into this error. Galatians chapter 2, if you're interested. Paul's response, bring people's conscience up to date by God's word. But friends, John doesn't suffer with this out-of-date conscience problem, does he? No, he knows the scriptures from front to back. 
And so he knows precisely what God's teaching is on marriage and relationships. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not very hard. Elementary, my dear Watson, that's very straightforward. But look at how many Christian leaders seem confused on this very topic today. But not this leader. But friends, having a correctly informed conscience is one thing. Acting on it is another. But Mark's account makes it very clear. John doesn't have this problem either, does he? No, he has a job to do. And he won't back down from it no matter who his audience is. The average punter, bunch of Pharisees, or the political elite, John stays on message. And for this, for not making an exception for Herod and his wife up in that palace, John loses his life. Actually, friends, John would say, wrong, Pete, gained life. Promoted to glory, ladies and gentlemen. I ran my race, fought the good fight, And this was the point where I was plucked out of the muck and taken to the Lord's side. And friends, with that beautiful truth made clear for the one whose conscience was clear, we finish this fascinating commentary on the conscience. Except, of course, to ask, where is yours at this morning? What is your conscience what has your inner lawyer been saying to you over the last 20 minutes or so well friends if he's up on his feet at the moment pointing the finger at you and making some noise hit the mute button on him for just a moment and open your ears to what the spirit is teaching your inner lawyer through this account What could that be? Well, looking back over the whole story, Herod got one thing right in reflecting on John, didn't he? And that is the belief, his deep down in his gut knowledge, that the good judge, the judge of all, will not let the death of the innocent stand. And because he took John's life in the way he did, Herod was convinced this judge has stepped in and overruled that terrible injustice. But although Herod was wrong on this, he was on to something, wasn't he? Listen to these words from Peter. With the help of wicked men, you put him, Jesus, to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible, why? Because Jesus was not only innocent of the charge that took him to the death, his death, he was innocent from his first breath to his very last And so he was acquitted in the way Herod predicted. 
Now, what does Jesus' miraculous acquittal mean for this crowd? This group now racked with guilt for their hand in Jesus' wrongful death? Well, incredibly, remarkably, not judgment fire, says Peter, but the offer of forgiveness. Jesus is back with his nail-scarred hands held out to you, says Peter. Why? Well, as Isaiah, who saw Jesus' wrongful death centuries earlier, writes, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to their own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, there's one thing that was taken to the grave by Jesus and left there, buried, never to rise again. And that is the condemnation for our sin and the guilt that goes with it. Why? Because Jesus' innocent, blameless death was a sacrifice, a pure, once-for-all payment for all we have ever done or will do. Too good to be true? Well, consider this. If Jesus' death wasn't for us to pay and clear us from all sin, there is no way he would have died and taken our place. In fact, he wouldn't have died in the first place. For he, as the Son of God, the true King, a King even Herod acknowledged as one with great power, would have exercised that power. He would have righted the wrong well before he got anywhere near that cross. But that's not what happened. No, he went through with it for one reason and one alone, to pay the penalty not for his sin, but ours. Result, when we see this and put our trust in him, a pure, cleansed conscience before God. And in a lawyer who is told and informed by the Holy Spirit to take that constantly waving finger and point it to the door and declare you free. You're free to go. Is that what your inner lawyer is doing for you, declaring to you this morning? If not, it's time it received an update from the Scriptures. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. What a story, Father, of a warped conscience, a guilty conscience, and a cleared conscience. And Father, what a word as Herod sees the truth that you will rise, the perfectly innocent one from the dead. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus was that person. 
taking fully our sin on his shoulders and bearing it forever. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here this morning who is racked with a guilty conscience, has that inner lawyer constantly pointing at them, Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit that that inner lawyer would point them to the door saying, free, thanks to Jesus and all he has done for us. Thank you for paying our sin in full. Thank you for your grace and mercy won at the cross. Help us, Father, to know this and to share this with those who don't know it. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name.